Hi, my name is Tommaso, your first year student host for the My First Year Story podcast. Here, I'll be sitting down with people who have the answers to your college questions and who can help me survive my first year as a University of Connecticut student by telling their own first year stories during our conversations. For all college students, one of the most critical aspects of their experience is engaging with faculty members. Faculty provide expertise, instruction, support, advisement, and more as students navigate the world of academia and ask big questions in the pursuit of knowledge. Today, I have one such UConn faculty member joining me, Dr. Thomas Long. Dr. Long holds both a Bachelor of Arts degree in English and a Master of Arts degree in Theology from the Catholic University of America, a Master of Arts degree in English from the University of Illinois, and a PhD in English from Indiana University of Pennsylvania. He is a professor in residence in UConn's School of Nursing, where he also directs the nursing learning community. He is also involved in several other departments and initiatives at UConn, in addition to being a heavily published writer and editor. We are so excited to have him on the podcast today. Dr. Long, thank you for being here. Oh, thanks very much, Tommaso. I appreciate the invitation to uh, be here today. Of course. Could you please introduce yourself to our listeners, name, pronouns, hometown, and your absolute favorite book you've ever read, or oh, okay. one of one of your favorite books you've ever read? <laughs> okay, that's a... T- that last one's a tough one. So I'm, uh, I'm Tom Long. Uh, I uh, use the pronouns he and him. Uh, I was born in Washington, D.C., raised in the Maryland suburbs of Wheaton and Rockville, Maryland. Um, lived for most of my professional life in Virginia uh, and moved here to Stores, Mansfield, in 2008 to take the position uh, at the Yukon School of Nursing absolute favorite book I've ever read. Oh my gosh, Tommaso, there've been so many books. Uh, <laughs> so um, um, let me, um, oh gosh. Um, the one that pops into my head is a, uh, a, a wonderful um, kind of mystery um, analytical novel by <clears throat> the Italian Umberto Eco, uh, called The Name of the Rose. Okay. Uh, it was made into a film in the 1980s with Sean Connery. I'll have to add it to my list recently. Yeah. With all the online school and stuff, I feel like my eyeballs are falling out of my head and I've decided to pick up books again because I don't know why I ever put right. them down. Right, right. Well, and it's tough when you're a you know, full-time student. Uh, it's tough because you know, there's so much uh, occupying your time. Right. And the isolation that we are all feeling right now, I think, is taking up a lot of our, our cognitive and emotional bandwidth. Yeah, and the books kind of help because they kind of like take you somewhere else, you know what I mean? They do. And uh, I think just as important is that there's a wonderful tactile experience. Yes, versus you know, everything on with the screen. Books. Yeah. And uh, one of the things about books... Uh, at least in the history of books, is that, and I've got all kinds of books here, is that they can be quite, quite beautiful um, with beautiful marbled end papers and beautiful deckled edges. For the sake of your podcast, I should point out, I'm showing you a (laughs) beautiful uh, 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 hand-pressed book and uh, beautiful uh, type and uh, and paper. So anyway, they are sensual 
objects. Yeah, they definitely are. Old. Yeah, I, I love books. So speaking of books and academia, let's dive into our conversation today. Okay. So what was your first experience of college like? Like what, um, what did you learn from your academic experience as a student in higher education? Yeah, well, and, and Tommaso, I've been thinking about that a lot because in, in September of this year, September of 2021, we are going to mark an important uh, historic event an anniversary. Tell me. The 50th anniversary of my first day of college. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. So I've been thinking about that. My gosh, half a century ago, I walked onto a college campus for the first time and started classes. <clears throat> and, and my most vivid recollection, to tell you the truth, was um, looking for a parking space but that resonates with a lot of students. I bet it resonates with many students. Yes, yes, and faculty, I might add, and staff. Um, and the I remember quite vividly uh, somebody else uh, driving around the parking lot looking for a um, uh, parking space uh, with uh, their their car radio on, uh, playing the Rod Stewart hit, the, the hit at the time, Maggie May. And uh, that includes the lyrics. Uh, it's late September, and I really should be back at school. Oh my! It's like the soundtrack of the movie that was playing in your head, <laughs> looking for that parking spot. Exactly, exactly. And then later, in a later stanza, uh, I suppose I could collect my books and get on back to school, uh, or steal my daddy's cue and make a living out of playing pool, or find myself <laughs> a rock and roll band that needs a helping hand. So, you know, in the early 1970s, uh, um, just as today, people could be confused about, well, what do I want to do? And, you know, how am I going to make my way in the world? So that was my, that was sort of my, my first experience. My probably, in terms of faculty, my most vivid and enduring uh, experience uh, was a course, uh, two semesters of a course I took my freshman year. Uh, I was an English major, but I took a course in uh, a survey of French literature mm -hmm. uh, with Professor William Williman. And he was a brilliant, young, engaging, um, and he um, respected us as, as thinkers. And so he was not preoccupied with conveying content. Um, he wanted us to, to, to think of ourselves as thinkers and to think about what we were reading. And what we were reading, we were, we were reading in French. So there was that extra challenge. And I'd have to say that, that uh, William Willimon uh, shaped the uh, trajectory of my thinking and my um, teaching uh, for the last 50 years. Teachers have such profound, I don't, I'm sure they realize it, but they have such profound impact on their students' lives. There's definitely teachers in my life who have mm -hmm. inspired me to do stuff and set me on a completely different course. Mm -hmm. In my English class last semester, mm -hmm. we um, read a, um, a theory piece about how teachers shouldn't, there shouldn't be this sort of instructional gap between teachers and students. They should be on uh, the similar level because that just fosters mm -hmm. more and more thinking. And it mm -hmm. sounds like mm -hmm. your mm -hmm. professor. 
He, uh, William Willimon did that with us, and uh, I have always been indebted to him for that. So now that kind of leads me into my next question. Um, as a professor now, is there anything that um, being a student has kind of helped inform your experiences and guide your work for students? Well, the thing, Tommaso, that I think is really important for faculty is we, we always have to remind ourselves what it's like to be a novice. Because, you know, uh, we, we reach a certain point in our professional and intellectual lives where we have so mastered um, and internalized our fields um, that we have lost sight of what it's like to be um, a novice, what it's like to be a first-year student. You, yeah, go ahead. No, sorry, do you think that um, sort of disconnection happens often, or do you think more often than not teachers recognize that? Well, I, I you know... Well, no, I, 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 I sad to say, I think, I think faculty forget that often, not everybody, of course, but I think often faculty forget what it's like to be a novice. Um, what, what faculty often, <laughs> faculty often talk about uh, when they talk about students uh, is they often express frustration. Right. <laughs> so, for, so for example, faculty will say, I don't know why they don't know this or that, because we covered that last semester. Well, coverage does not equal learning. And, you know, there are lots of things that uh, coverage uh, it doesn't have necessarily enduring uh, power. Right. And so they themselves forget what it's like. Um, so in order to try to keep myself um, aware of what it's like to be a novice, over the years, I've undertaken putting myself in situations where I was a novice. So for example, I've always enjoyed singing and choral singing. And so for one year, I took voice lessons from a, a vocal coach. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I thought I knew uh, how to sing. And, uh, you know, this was the classical repertoire. Yeah, and it's uh, sort of a jarring feeling when you don't know how to do something. Really? I mean, I, I have sung for years, but I didn't know how to sing, uh, at least not in a, in a professional way. So uh, that reminded me. I, I, I studied Tai Chi uh, with a, a Tai Chi master for two years. And uh, uh, I have never thought of myself as physically graceful, so there was that impediment. <laughs> uh, and... Uh, I, uh, so, you know, it was a way of reminding myself, uh, all right, this is what it's like to be a, a, a novice. Right. And do you think those doing that, those new things like singing or Tai Chi carries over into uh, your career as a professor and keeps well, you I, like sort of grounded? Yeah. Oh, I know it does for me. And because I'm consciously doing that, Tommaso, I'm, I mean, I consciously undertake these things uh, knowing uh, that uh, uh, that I have to, I do these things in order to remember uh, what it's like. Um, and I've sung in, in choruses and in choirs. Uh, I've sung in the Yukon uh, Festival Chorus. You know, and at the beginning of every semester with a new uh, uh, repertoire of, of work that we're going to sing, I say to myself, 
oh my gosh, I'm never going to learn this. So it's important, I think, at, a, at an emotional level to identify with that experience and yeah. to, to bring that to students. The other thing is listening, being present to students and listening to students. Um, you know, without uh, judgment and, and without, uh, you know, trying to impose on them uh, one's own uh, thoughts and, and values, totally. just to listen. I can completely, like, see where that comes from, because I mention it all the time on the podcast that I'm um, such an extrovert and a talker that this has really helped me and encouraged mm-hmm. me to listen more and hear, mm-hmm. and I try and carry that onto my mm-hmm. day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So moving forward, um, you are the um, in charge of the nursing learning community. Mm-hmm. What is the most rewarding aspect of working with first-year students in the nursing learning community, as well as the courses you've taught? Mm-hmm. Just spending time. Gotcha. Just spending time. I have been saying all along since I began that for me, presence is more important than programming. Um, and so, for example, um, last year, when we could still physically be here, I would spend every Tuesday and Thursday evening in Nursing House's community room, just hanging out. You know, no program, no agenda, right. just hanging out, uh, listening, talking, laughing. We laugh a lot. Um, and... Uh, uh, and I've tried to maintain that this year through uh, an online Tuesday, Thursday evening on WebEx. Uh, and uh, the teaching the FYE course has been an important way uh, for me to listen uh, to students uh, as they've entered the program this year. Currently this year in Nursing House, we, you know, it's a residential uh, learning community. Uh, but only about half of uh, the students are actually residential on campus. The rest are at home. So that's been a real challenge. Do you think with, that's sort of my next question, do you think with coronavirus and everything being online, um, it's harder for professors to feel connected to their students? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 You know, uh, and, and uh, part of it, uh, Tommaso, is, is just an odd practical little thing. Um, <laughs> you know, we're using WebEx or whatever. Uh, for the uh, classes and other uh, gatherings. And so, you know, there's some students who, for whatever reason, and I don't, I don't ask questions and I don't demand that they turn their cameras on, um, that they, they don't turn their cameras on. Right. Um, I have one student who, um, for whatever reason, uh, only shows us his, uh, his uh, uh, folded arms and chest uh, not his head. Now, you know, I don't. Anonymity. <laughs> right, right. Anonymity, whatever. I mean, I don't know, and I don't ask, and you know, whatever. These, you know, the, the students are grown ups, and they make their own decisions about things. Right. So, um, so first of all, I'm not not necessarily seeing everybody, and even when I do see people, you know, it's this little tiny rectangular tile, uh, and uh, so getting to know people that way, and. Uh, uh, someone I connect with on on Twitter recently said that she missed what she called the accidental life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, bumping into somebody in the hallway, bumping into somebody on a stairway, 
walking across campus and stopping to chat with somebody. All of those little serendipitous, accidental uh, meeting up of, with people, uh, spontaneous conversations that you know give you an opportunity to find out how people really are. Um, gosh, I miss those. Doesn't happen anymore. Unless, really unless you doesn't. by accidentally hop into the wrong breakout room. <laughs> yeah, there. right, right. It really doesn't. And, uh, you know, unless you happen to be on campus for something or in stores for something and you happen to recognize somebody's eyes because, right. of course, you don't have their no. mouth and nose no. to be, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah that it does make it makes living a little bit more difficult, but. I yeah. think we, we're pretty adaptive and yeah. Get, yeah. getting by is the two, two words that always stick in my brain. Mm -hmm. And with a, with a vaccine, uh, slowly being rolled out, but with a vaccine, uh, we should eventually uh, be able to bring this under control. Right. Uh, of course, I don't know about you, uh, but I find myself doing an awful lot of uh, comfort eating. Oh, for sure. You know? sure. and buying stuff I never normally bought. Uh, I went through a period when I was uh, buying ice cream every time I went to the uh, to the grocery store. Yeah, especially being home and stuff. My sister yeah. just got a bunch of new cookbooks. Yeah, and so we've been doing desserts every night. She made cream puffs one night. Oh my god, I can't handle it. Yeah, yeah. Well, and so I've been telling people uh, once we get rid of COVID nineteen, I'm going to have to start working on getting rid of my COVID-15. Yes. Oh. Yeah. Um, and you're absolutely right. That's, that'll be the thing once all the gyms open up again, right? Mm. Or that doing, <laughs> doing that Tai Chi. That'll be their marketing campaigns. But heading back to the conversation, I know we already sort of discussed about your philosophies as professor, um, for professorship and how you support students, but do you find your students um, responsive to these techniques and has it been sort of like a trial and error? Oh, let me try this with them. And if that doesn't really get the response you're looking for, do you try something else? Well, yeah, that's a good question. Um, gosh, you know, teaching is a complex, um, uh, teaching is a complex improvisation. You know, uh, I, I always try to be well prepared for a class, um, but in, in those semesters in which I've taught the same course to two or three different sections, uh, it's always struck me, and I've been a professor now for over 30 years, it has always struck me that um, something that, that really clicks with the Thursday morning class for some reason just doesn't click with the Tuesday morning class. Mm. And they're just different, you know, there's a different, um, different temperaments, different personalities that make up. Uh, so you always have to be willing to improvise a bit um, and to try to find ways of engaging students uh, as, as both thinkers and as feelers. Mm -hmm. uh, because it's important for us to remember that not only are we involved in the cognitive domain of thinking, but we're also involved in the affective domain of feeling. So for me, as a student, there were many courses in, uh, about which I felt such deep 
pleasure and joy. And there were lots of student, uh, lots of courses about which I didn't feel any <laughs> or joy. Right? Yeah, right. Yes. right. So, uh, you know, I, I, we are uh, the life of the mind. The life of learning is is a life of pleasure. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but you know, it's hard work as well. But there's also um, um, uh, the the pleasure of hard work. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the concept of flow. I, uh, I actually think I might be. Is that when you just sort of get into that state of, yeah. it happens to musicians or, right, or right. where you just get into that state of sort of Zen where you're right. not, you're not here right. anymore. Well, yeah. and, and this idea was developed by the psychologist and you might want to check him out. Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. Um, a Hungarian uh, uh, psychologist, Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. And uh, uh, Csikszentmihalyi developed this notion of flow. He said that, that a task must uh, be somewhere between um, difficulty and ease. If a, uh, if a task is too easy, and you're learning a task that's too easy, it won't be engaging. Mm -hmm. If it's too difficult, uh, you will become frustrated and consumed with your frustration. And so flow is somewhere between difficulty uh, and ease. Right. Um, and so, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, that, that's, I think we should always, faculty should always be willing to challenge students uh, but also not to overwhelm them. Yeah. And this is an issue that I've been uh, listening to with uh, the first year and second year students in nursing house this year, is a sense of feeling overwhelmed. And I have been conveying this to my colleagues uh, in the hopes of uh, alerting them to the, you know, maybe you need to pull back a little bit. Mm -hmm. Uh, people are, students are feeling overwhelmed by too much information, too many resources, too many platforms yeah. uh, for interaction. For sure, for sure. Um, simplify, simplify, uh, in, in Henry David Thoreau's famous uh, phrase. Um, so I, I've told my students that I want them to think of me as their Yukon uncle. And so as their Yukon uncle, I will go to bat for them um, and advocate for them. Um, and I, <laughs> I do have, you know, there are faculty who, who, there are faculty who feel that this is supposed to be hard and it's supposed to be character. And, uh, uh, let me give an example um, and stop me if I'm rambling on too much. No, um, keep going. One of the complaints that students have had, uh, and it's driving me crazy, is that they've got assignments that are due uh, Friday at midnight or Sunday or Saturday at midnight or Sunday at midnight. What, what happened to the weekend? You know what yeah. happened to the weekend? I mean, you know, maybe... Uh, you know, uh, when I was 50 years ago, all right, I had things that were due on Monday, but, you know, gosh, I, I had the weekend to myself. I didn't have right. something that was due Sunday at midnight. And I, I tried to, I, I've brought this up many times to, to, to faculty in the School of Nursing, and I've gotten some pushback 
um, uh, one faculty member said to me recently, <clears throat> well, you know, um, uh, as nurses, they're going to have to work shift work and they're going to have to work on weekends. Yeah, but they're not nurses. Right, they're students. They're students, mm -hmm. you know? So there's some rush to teach that um, like grit or something, especially yeah. with, with Zoom class too. It, I think there's a lot of professors who feel there's a, a need to make up for a lack of in-person and that just equals piles of work versus I, discussion I, or- I don't, I don't get it, Tomasa. Yeah. I don't yeah. get it. Uh, I, you know, we saw this last spring. I started hearing this from nursing house students last spring. Uh, they would say, you know, suddenly after spring break, when we all re returned in right. marks uh, online, suddenly they had all kinds of other stuff they needed to be doing. And uh, yeah, it just doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. It seems to it seems more of a block for students too, especially if they get too much. You like you said about the flow is that they're so much more ready to turn their cameras off and their mics off and not pay attention in those classes when they mm -hmm. feel overwhelmed. And students are particularly clear about wanting synchronous classes. Yes, for sure. I definitely think that is more helpful, especially because I think as human beings we appreciate our routine so much more. Mm -hmm when it's laid to ourselves and we have those asynchronous classes I was in it my English class had a lab portion and mm -hmm. I was always felt like I was behind because I was never getting like notifications mm -hmm. or alerts about them mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and and look I, I you know students are very engaged they're very active they've got a lot of demands on their time and the kind of planning uh calendar planning that students have to do it's really quite, uh, uh, really quite awesome. Right, um, and it's not like we don't want to learn. We're obviously here to yeah, achieve yeah. that degree in a field that we yeah. either like or yeah. our, we, our parents told us we should go into. Yeah. But yeah. a lot of times it feels like, it must feel like to the professors that we don't want to do the work. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think that's... Uh... <laughs> a little bit of a conundrum. Well, and look, um, uh, don't share this with anybody. Is this going on? <laughs> we can, we'll cut this out. We'll cut this out. <laughs> so the thing that you have to understand is that students and faculty are much more alike than they are dissimilar. Mm -hmm. So let me give you an example. Students and faculty are both highly skilled at performing cost-benefit analyses. So for example... You know, our faculty lives are filled with meetings and deadlines and yada, yada, yada. So faculty are always asking to themselves, uh, now, do I have to be at this meeting? Well, if I have to attend this meeting, do I have to be prepared? Mm -hmm. Well, if I have to be prepared, how prepared do I have to be? Does that sound right. What's, what is the path of least resistance right. for me too? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And students do exactly the same thing. Oh. Yeah. And faculty get irritated when students do the exact same thing. But I'm always reminding faculty, um, excuse me, <laughs> do you always attend every meeting? Do you always come fully prepared for that meeting? And don't... And what's the response to that? Well, they just shut up. <laughs> uh, and Maso, don't get me started on deadlines. Yeah. Because I won't. I won't. <laughs> because faculty are notorious with... Uh, getting extensions on things that uh, uh, that we 
owe to editors or administrators or whatever. Right. So it sounds like it's not a student behavior or a professor behavior. It's just no. a human behavior. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Many years ago, I was president of the faculty senate at a, a college in uh, Virginia, and we were having serious morale problems that most of us understood were coming from the president of the college, who was a, a narcissistic uh, person, an analogy disordered person. And uh, so I, um, uh, and, and this uh, morale crisis at the college was, had been publicized in the local paper. So as president of the faculty senate, I went around to managers and administrative staff and said, what are faculty doing that harms your morale? What are we doing? What do we need to change? So I gathered data. I had listening sessions. I gathered data. And when I reported back to the faculty senate, I started out by saying, you know, there are two things that students do that discourage and frustrate us. They don't read and follow instructions, and they don't turn stuff in on time. Now, in all of my listening sessions with administrators and uh, administrative staff, there are two things that faculty do that harm their morale. We don't read and follow instructions, and we don't turn stuff in on time. So how do we stop this never-ending cycle of not reading and not turning stuff in on time? <laughs> well, I that might not be the question for you. Right, right. <laughs> and I, don't think, I don't think we ever do, and I don't think we ever will. I think what it means, though, is that faculty have to acknowledge that we have that pattern as well and not mm -hmm. to get too, too frustrated with students. Right. Um, so going back to our kind of signature question to wrap up this conversation, our namesake is my first year story. And so we are all a first at something, whether you're the first person in your family to go to college or anything else, what do you feel like you've been the first at and how has that impacted your, as well as others, life experience? Well, gosh, I'm not sure, aside from being the firstborn of three children, I'm not sure I have a first, well, maybe um, I am the first, yes, I am the first in my family to publish books. And that's so a big deal. That's a first. Yeah, that's a first. Um, two more questions for you. Um, what do you think the purpose of college is? Having been, I've really enjoyed our conversation and having been a very extremely well thought out college professor, what do you think the purpose for college is? University is an academy for leaders. Mm -hmm. That's it. Gotcha. That leadership. very profound. Leadership. And leadership in a global context. Mm -hmm. Now, I know that we, you know, there's a tendency in our society today to take a very instrumental or vocational view of higher education. Well, it's to get a, a good job, you know, mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's so I can become a doctor. Or so I can become a nurse. Uh, I, and I would say no, no, it is an academy for leaders. I definitely, I definitely agree with that because I'm thinking back to my first semester and what I've learned. And I think the majority of things I learned is how to interact with people who are not the same as me, especially I come from Westport where there's a lot of people who are mm -hmm. very similar to me. Mm -hmm. That UConn was 
as such a different mm -hmm. kind of environment. And that is exactly how I think leaders are created is dealing with adversity and mm -hmm. overcoming it. Mm -hmm. And dealing with all kinds of differences. And also the, you know, this is the this is the point of our general education core curriculum. Right. In, you know, arts and humanities, sciences, uh, social sciences and the like. It is to introduce you to other ways of thinking, other ways of knowing. Mm -hmm. And that's the only way you can really expand your horizons, so to speak, is learning how other people do things. I completely, I agree. Um, and finally, our last question is, uh, now's the time in the conversation where we get to turn it around and I let you ask me a question. How are we doing? we faculty? Um, I definitely agree with everything that you have said. As a student, I've felt pressures and stuff, but all in all, I think faculty are, I wasn't there last spring semester, but I think faculty are getting how difficult it is, especially as at least my professors are getting how difficult it is as a student who is online and how it's not the same education as in person. And I think some of them are finally understanding that and easing easing up and kind of adapting to this new situation instead of just oh here's a link to the lecture we have a test mm -hmm. on friday mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i was oh, in an art i was in an art criticism class and it was probably one of the most engaging classes i had because it was we had a reading and then it was solely discussion based and the teacher never really led the discussion it was because um, she posed questions and played devil's advocate and left it up to us mm -hmm. for that thinking. And that was one of my most beneficial classes. And it's one of the ones I talk about all the time because I'd never had a professor like that in all my what, 13 years of learning. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I found it very effective. There's a wonderful essay um, by Wayne C. Booth he published in the early 1960s when he was at the University of Chicago. And Booth asks the question, um, is there any knowledge that a person must have? And he, he starts out by debunking uh, some of the common perceptions of what education is. Mm -hmm. um, so, for example, he says, um, for a lot of people, education is training ants for the ant hill, for the ant colony, you know, the workers, training right. the workers. Uh, for other people, it's programming the machines of our economy. <clears throat> but he said, uh, you know, we are neither ants nor machines. And his, his conclusion was uh, the, the knowledge that a, that a person must have is the knowledge that enables us to, to think and to always be thinking. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, creates individuality, and it's not a machine or ants or something that is replicated. It's, mm -hmm. it, that's what makes us different, is how we all think differently. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely right. Well, it's been a pleasure to talk to you today, Dr. Long. I'm sorry to make you wait earlier this morning. That's quite all right. Uh, we didn't wait long. We had a chance to, to chat with each other. Tommaso, it's uh, good to meet you. Nice to meet uh, you as well. Quasi-face-to-face. -face. Yes, unfortunately. Yes. Hopefully one day we will be face-to-face. Okay, face. yes, I look forward to that. Yes. Um, and to our listeners, thank you for tuning in. And as always, peace out, Huskies. 
My First Year Story podcast is a production of the University of Connecticut's undergraduate student body in collaboration with the Office of First Year Programs, Learning Communities, the Academic Achievement Center, and the Learning Community Innovation Zone. Our co-producers are Casey Jaycox and Hannah Peterson. Our staff advisors are Cody Ryan and Helena DeBald. For more information on our podcast, to meet our entire staff, and to listen to more episodes, visit fyp.uconn.edu backslash mfys. And follow us on Instagram and Twitter at UConnFYP.